Well, we're in Ephesians 5. And you might think, oh, we've done Ephesians 5. Huh. There is, there is so much that he is wanting to give us. I'm not going to cover it tonight. <laughs> so we may be sitting here for a while. And Chris beautifully gave us that big crescendo that has happened through Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4. And if you remember, he came to Ephesians 5. I'm not going to drop us in the flesh. <laughs> because the one thing that I really sense is that we need to read this section. And I'm basically looking at the passage from Ephesians 5:21 through to 33. And I really sense that we need to read it purely and simply with the eyes of Christ in the church. And there's a reason for that. It's got a, a neat title in the NASB just before 22, and it says, Marriage Like Christ and the Church. And there is a sense that when we go in and we look at Christ in the church through the eyes of marriage, we are completely upside down. And it's very easy to do it because we relate to human temporary relationships more readily from the flesh. But he needs to open the eyes of our heart and reveal about Christ in the church and the revelation of that, when, when he gives it to us, will actually define all the other things, not the other way around. So it's going to be interesting because some of the verses I'm not probably even going to dwell on. But I want us to purposely do this. Now, there is... There is a reason even in with the word to say it like this. Because in verse 22, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, how can you be subject to your own husband as to the Lord if you don't know how to be subject to the Lord? So what comes first? Do you see? So our understanding has to come through interesting if we carry on, and I, I'm not going to cover all this, but I've looked into chapter 6. I per personally think that it's the whole thing. The, 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 this section continues into chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, how do they know to obey, how, how to obey them in the Lord? Um, slaves, verse 5 be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. It's everywhere. Later on in verse 5, with goodwill render service as to the Lord. So what comes first is the revelation of Christ and his church. 
And all of these things, all of these relationships actually, not just husband and wife, but father and children and slave and master, they are all pictures of Christ in the church. So that's, that's where I'm coming from today, okay? And it's, it's, there's so much um, power in what he's wanting to speak to us. And I want us to be able to see it in this light. I was talking with um, uh, some, of, some of us um, last week, and it's just like, you know, if you are single and you come along this passage... Wives be, oh, well, that's not for me. I'll go down, uh, oh, chil- oh, I don't have any children. No, that's not for me. Oh, I'm not a slave. Oh, okay, now I've just completely missed the bride of Christ. Do you see what I mean? Because we come in through the flesh. Or maybe we've come out of an abusive marriage. Wives, oh, I'm not going to go there. Uh, children obey, yes, children. Do you know what I- So we go to the thing that we relate to through our fleshly um, filter and we completely miss what he's trying to say. So I want to look at Christ in the church and what does Christ do? What does Christ need to do for the church? It's all here. It, it's not just in this section, like I say, I could go into chapter 6, but I'm not going to. Someone else may dig that in, dig into that. Or you can go in and have a look. What, what is the picture of Christ in there? When we see, I'm, I'm going to come back to 21 and 22, okay? But I'm going to really start at 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Interesting. Uh, Actually, sorry, I have missed 23. He himself being the saviour of the body. It's really the first time that we see something of what Christ is to the church. He's the saviour of the body. Now, he is not described as the forgiver of the body, although he has forgiven her. He's described as the saviour of the body. Now, that word comes from the the word to make whole. Interesting, isn't it? So that's more than just redeeming out of something, isn't it? We, we talk about being saved as I've been saved from eternal separation from God. But salvation actually is a whole, being made whole. And this is part of the picture. In, in fact, it encompasses all of the picture that we've been hearing about. And I'm not going to go into all of what that means, but we've been... Um, we have been looking in Ephesians 3, 14, 19. Let's have a look at that. <clears throat> For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Hmm. So that is Christ in us, the hope of glory, right there. And look at this, and that you being rooted and grounded in love or established in love may be able to comprehend. What are we comprehending? We're comprehending the, the, and knowing the love of Christ, which is the very substance of who he is. So the rooting and establishing, my experience is I've had to be uprooted from something and rooted in him. Because the whole operating system of the flesh is not him, and it's not love that is him, right? So part of what we are hearing about in the mornings has been what it's like to be smashed. Well, that's like what it's like to be uprooted and take it, your root system is taken out. Why? For the very purpose of rooting you in him. So that your whole inner man is, truth is being formed in your inner man. And now it is Christ that is forming you. Do you see what I'm saying? And so everything, this journey of maturity is coming from this root system of him within us. Christ, the hope of glory, him being love. And look at the, the end of that sentence and <clears throat> the end of verse nine, 19 that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I think that's a good way to sum up salvation. Wholeness. So he's our saviour. He is love. So we're back into verse 25. Loved the church and gave himself up for her. He, he, has, he is love. He defines what love is. So love has expressed himself by his giving, giving himself up completely. He has not held anything back. And the purpose of that, so that, in verse 26, he might sanctify her. He might make her pure, free from guilt. You see, flesh and spirit are at odds with each other. They don't have, flesh doesn't have the power to subject itself to God. We hear that, don't we, in, in Romans? He has made a way for us to come under and receive him and to receive all that he has for, for us. This powerful word of being cleansed, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I want to spend a little bit of time on this because to me, this is profound, just like the being rooted and established. The cleansing 
is cleansing us out of a whole system whereby we have operated. <clears throat> it's internal, it's eternal, it's spiritual. And it affects all of our being, in our thinking, in our doing. It changes us. I was meditating on this, and of course, there's, there's words that come completely to mind. We heard one of them this morning in pre-meeting. Um, John 4.14, let's have a quick zip to John 4.14. Anyone know what John 4 has got about? That's right. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So we're talking about the water of the word that he cleanses us with. It's not just a one-off sprinkling. This now becomes the substance of who we are. Okay, It's in us, residing in us. That's what he's promising. Let's have a look at 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. It's eternal. It's internal. It's spiritual and it's an entirely different way of being. As I was meditating on this, I was drawn to think of how much of a human body is water. So um, an adult male is about 60% water. The brain and the heart, about 73%. Lungs, 83%. Skin, 64%. Muscles and kidneys, 79% water. Even bones are 31% water. Water is in every cell. So it dissolves and transports the nutrients, the minerals and the chemicals around the body through the biological systems. Isn't it interesting that he talks about the water of the word? That we would be built inside with him who is the word in the way a human body is built with water. That every cell is built. And to me, this just screams back to me Hebrews 3. 11.3 By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. He needs to prepare us. How is he going to do it? How he does everything. He prepares us by the word of God. So that that which is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Our 
Our preparation has been spoken. He has spoken already. Ephesians 1, 4. What's Ephesians 1, 4? Declare about the bride of Christ. That she will be holy and blameless. That was spoken before the world was even formed. We, we come, in a sense, completely and utterly blind to this reality. Like we're blind to, and, and we can't fathom the fact that everything that is visible has come from his word from the invisible unseen realm. We can't fathom that. He has to open our eyes to see that. And in the same way, he has to form us. So we are formed by the word. In, in some translations, it says he framed the world, worlds. I, I love that. It's like, this is the frame. This is, this is the structure of who the bride is. So we have been, it has been spoken. Now, the, the whole of Hebrews chapter 11 is about people who saw something of the unseen. So Abraham saw a, a city, a heavenly city, and he left something to go after something he saw in the unseen realm, right? He actually saw the bride. The bride is described as a city. So all through Hebrews 11, we have people who see, with the revelation of God, something that is unseen, but it is seen in his realm, and he is revealing it, and that is causing a response. So they are now living from what they see in the unseen realm. Okay? The power of the word to do this is for us, but it requires what that chapter is all about, faith. If you look at Romans 4, no, big pardon, Hebrews 4. I'll find it somewhere. Here we go. <laughs> right. It's right at the beginning. Here we go. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains. Remember, it all starts with a promise. All of this starts with a promise. Everything that he has done is a promise. It's not a problem. It's a promise. A promise remains of entering his rest. Any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Think of the bride. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So he has spoken. He has, he has declared it all. It's all in the word. But it's whether we are going to join our faith with that and say, yes, that's for us. That's truth. That's truth. And whether we leave behind 
all these other things. And we're going to see that in the scripture as well. So with the, the, interestingly, after this great big long list of all these people have lived this way, they've lived in response to what they have seen of the unseen realm, Hebrews 12, straight on, straight after it. And it's because of this great crowd of witnesses, now we lay aside everything, every encumbrance and every, the sin that so easily entangles and we run the race set before us. You see? So there's a race and it's very clearly marked out and that is what we have been looking at for the whole of the Ephesians the eternal purpose of God, what is the race that we would see what he has already spoken, what he has already declared and is revealing to us about what is our purpose here on earth. And we would let go of all those things eagerly in order so that we can run. And we run in a way that is toward a goal, And it's fixing our eyes on a person. It's not fixing our eyes on just being something. We fix our eyes on Christ. He's our prize. He's the lover of our souls. He's the one that is is in all and is going to equip us. This is what we're reading about, Christ in the church. So we've got this beautiful thing of of how he's cleansing us with the water of his word. So he is forming us of himself. The word is the rema. So that which has been, is and has been uttered by the living voice. He goes on, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. This is amazing. This is really amazing. I was like, God, what's the glory of the church? Show me, what's what's all this? We've seen it in Ephesians 3.10. I'll quickly read that. So that the manifest wisdom of God may, might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So this glory is seen and recognized in the heavenly places before it's even understood on earth, which is pretty far out. Let's come and have a look at Isaiah 62. Just verses 1 to 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet, until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. He's talking about the bride. 
and you will be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it be any longer said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. These pictures are all over the place. Let's have a look at uh, Revelation 21.11. We'll we'll go to 10 first. So he's describing the new Jerusalem. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. This is the bride coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. So this is the glory that he's talking about. It's the glory of God. It's not something that we have aside from him. It's it's the result of Christ in us, the hope of glory. (laughs) It's not just a pithy saying. The hope of glory is literally the hope of glory. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone. And this one here, I, I came, I hadn't read this before yesterday. Psalm 45, I, just, I want to read the whole thing. This is so cool. This describes Christ and it describes the church. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. So we're talking about Christ. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. So what, what's the kingdom about? It's not about food. What's it about? Peace, joy, righteousness, and the Holy Spirit. We've just heard that all described, haven't we? All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and alloys and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. There's just one for us. Not country music. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I can't 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 resist it. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. And listen to this. Here we're going to hear about the bride. 
At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. I don't know how to say that. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. And I really want you to listen to this. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty. Because he is your Lord, bow down to him. Be subject to your own husband. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious where? Within. Interesting. The hope of Christ is the glory. It's within us, isn't it? The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions, will follow her, will be brought to you. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. It goes on. Now that little little bit here, forget your people and your father's house, really sprung out at me. Because one of the things that really sprung out at me out of this passage was, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. And I was like, why has it got own in there? If we think about the bride... We need to see that the bride is going to submit herself to someone. Is she going to submit herself to her own husband, to Christ? She will be built by someone. She will either be built by the flesh, by the world, by the operating systems of pride and all these things. But she has been given this beautiful opportunity to submit and subject herself under her own husband, which is Christ. And only Christ can do all these things that I'm talking about. Build her of the eternal word. Make her, change her, transform her. His way. It's so, so beautiful. And it required here, forget your people and your father's house. So your people and your father's house is your old operating systems. It's, it's the things that held you. You know, it talks about you're a slave to either... You can't be a slave to money and to God. It'll be one or the other, right? We are slaves to something. And and the, the lie comes in when we think that we've got free choice to n- not sub- submit ourselves to Christ and yet be free from the world. That That isn't an option. Because only Christ can set us free. He sets us free from the power of sin. We we cannot do that. 
We cannot renew our minds of ourselves. It's only the power of him within us that does this. It goes on and says, so present, we're back into, I hope you don't mind me backing and forth here. So we're back in Ephesians 5. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And I got to thinking about this. Like, he doesn't have a thing about old people, does he? <laughs> no, absolutely not. He says, grey hair's a crown of splendour. So spot is, you know, when you look at it, spot is a, a moral blemish. But I couldn't find anyone to tell me what a wrinkle was. But then I started thinking about this water again. So a wrinkle comes with lack of water, lack of moisture. If you see a parched person, the first thing you notice is their parched lips. They're wrinkled. They're not full of water. And if we as his bride are not being built his way, framed by his word, we're not prepared. Because his bride is not going to have a spot and it's not going to have wrinkle. It's Another way you could look at it is an old wineskin, I suppose. You see, he, he so desperately needs to do this work. I need him so desperately to do this work. There is nothing in me that can prepare me for this. But he has made it absolutely possible through his power within us, his power working within us, which is what we read out of Ephesians 3. Everything has been provided for us. It also goes on and talks about being holy and blameless, and I'm going to come back to that, but it, I'm just going to skip down to um, verse 29. Christ nourishes and, and cherishes the church. See how I can miss this? He nourishes and cherishes the church. What does that mean? Well, nourish is the word that is actually coming up in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers bring them up in the discipline. To nourish here means to rear or to bring up to maturity. Christ does that for us. He's the one that rears us, if you like. To cherish, um, I love, I'm just going to read out what it said, the meaning of this. It primarily to heat, to soften by heat, then to keep warm as of birds covering their young with their feathers. Metaphorically, it means to cherish with tender love to foster with tender care. 
that's been my experience. His love melts me. His love melted me. He, he allowed me to get completely to the end of myself. And then he rooted and established me in that love that had melted me. And I've seen him melt people with his love. But it's not just to soften, it's to keep warm. It's this ongoing to stay in that love. So we're not like the Ephesians church that have lost their first love. They're not remaining in his love. Go and talk to Rochelle about First, first John and she'll talk to you all about remaining in his love and what that means. Holy is actually a combination of the two words for pure and cherish. Interesting, isn't it? It means to be separated and characteristically there's God-likeness. So when he's saying that he's going to present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This is like Christ. Transformed so that we are like Christ. Blameless is without blemish. Blameless in character and conduct. How can that happen? Again, it's one of those things like it's way out there and that can either frighten us away or propel us in. And faith will always propel you in. It's like, that's, that's for us? You've said that? You've established that with your word? And you're waiting for me to say, I believe? <laughs> yes. It's powerful, isn't it? It really is powerful. What he has opened up for us. There's more here that I'm going to just very lightly gloss over because I, I sense that there, there's some people that are going to dig far more into it. But the members of his body... <clears throat> Is, is a whole thing on its own that we are not disconnected, that we are joined. When he says in, the, in 31, for this, this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is... This becoming one with, with Christ is a continuation of the same picture I've been talking about. So that we are like, as Joe beautifully put, distinct from, but the same as, like Christ. And the... The powerful... Um, 
sense is this, this is where I'm, I will find my notes. <laughs> um, but the, the, the verse that talks about, um, I have betrothed you to one husband. So this is in Second Corinthians 11, 2 and, and 3. Maybe let's just have a wee zip into that area, eh? I'm nearly, nearly done on this part. <clears throat> so Second Corinthians 11. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you, there's that word again, as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. As as we keep hearing, it's about a marriage covenant. The betrothal is a joining. We are, we are joined. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. But we can get completely sidetracked by a whole lot of things. And it's about him. And it's about pursuing him with everything that we that we are that leaving behind all the things in pursuing him that we would be made ready <clears throat> you know the one th- the one thing there's actually there's two things that it says in Ephesians 5 that the wife is to do right so the church is to do the first one is be subject and the last one comes in verse 33. He, um, the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That word respects is the fear that we see in verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So the subject is simply to be arranged under. Now, do you see if we if you if if we don't see this as Christ in the church, and we just go wives submit to your husbands, a whole lot of garbage can get in the way. But when we see that He is our life, He is our life source, complete and utter. He is the hope for all eternity, and He is inviting us to come under him (laughs) so that we may receive all that he is for us, all this that he has promised, this sanctifying, this cleansing, this washing with his word, this being transformed, this being made new, so that we would be ready and presentable, holy and blameless. This work that is from the inside out, that forms us from a totally different substance that's him, that's eternal, that's spiritual. What a beautiful invitation this is to be subject to him. 
And the fear is not, you know, it might seem like, okay, so that's a, ter a, 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 a terrible sort of terror. I will try and find it for you. We ran out a bit of time today. <laughs> anyway, it's... I will just try and remember. Okay, so the fear is to do with the... Um, the reverence... I will try and find it. Sorry, can you just bear with me? Um... It's beautifully put in with um, fear and trembling, actually, when you see in the slave thing. And the, the um, trembling part is, um, I can't find it, um, is to do with having absolutely no confidence in your own ability. So Paul came to the Corinthians in fear and trembling. That's beautiful, isn't it? So you don't come here and submit under Christ in your own strength. You come in the absolute knowledge that you can't do anything, but he is everything, and he is giving you everything. And the fear is this, this acknowledging who he is, this power for who he is. He is the Lord So the clarity of what it is that he does and what it is that we do is quite clear in this passage, isn't it? And like I say, you can go through into chapter 6 and see the similar sort of things. And the power of submit, obedience, honour, fear of the Lord, all of those things are the power of what he, how he operates in the kingdom of, of God. They're the operating systems. Really interesting when you look at those words and how they have been um, completely screwed up by the world. Those keys, those very keys. So if we come to a passage like this, without him revealing what he means and and what they are and what the the love that has has provided all these things for us we don't see what he wants us to see and so we don't leave and submit to our own husband we are too scared because we think that he's just all about taking things away from us but he's not. <laughs> he's about building us completely and making us ready. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm going to just leave that there with you. We've got a few questions in here. Unless there's anything you would like to add on that. Just at the moment. Nope. <laughs> You'll get your turn next week. Um, and, yeah, just, just um, have a chat together. But um, I do encourage you to have a look at that whole passage and just read it through that lens first. It's not that anything, any reference to the, the, 
temporary relationships like the wives and husbands and stuff is irrelevant. It's not. It's just one comes first. Okay? Amen.